And we're going to pick it up there in verse, uh, I'll pick it up in verse 37. Uh, up until this point, just a quick brief overview. Again, now, now we're gonna, we, we, we just uh, experienced the, the death of the firstborn son, which was the 10th plague. I'll actually pick it up there in verse 29. And, and, and so, again, we've been seeing just God work through this, through this man, Moses. You know, a man who we called, uh, who we first had to humble. You know, and, and then he called him while he was in the wilderness. He, he commissioned him to go speak to Pharaoh. You know, and, and he gave him a task. He said, hey, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. So they go into the wilderness and they could worship me. Right? And so God is, has kept the nation of Israel here in Egypt this whole time for about 430 years. God has kept the nation of Israel in Egypt. Uh, yeah, they, 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 they began to be in bondage, but ultimately God was keeping them there to preserve them. If you guys remember there, the last chapter of the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 50, the, the book of Genesis ends with, with the nation of Israel, with a, uh, it's just a, a family, a, a small family. They're entering Egypt, and they entered Egypt because of a severe famine that was upon the land. They had no idea what God was going to do with them. That now, as we get to, uh, through, the book, through the chapters of, of, of Exodus, we're going to see that that, that small family... Uh, grew into a whole nation of about a couple million. And, and that wouldn't have been possible if they weren't there in bondage in Egypt for those 430 years. And so they were there in bondage, they were suffering, but yet they didn't realize that God was doing uh, his, uh, his twofold purpose. One, he was, he was dealing with them, you know, he, was per- he was preserving them, but at the same time, uh, you know, he was preparing the people, right? He was preparing a whole nation. And so by him keeping them, he kind of kept them under the protection of the, of the Egyptians until he said, all right, it's time. It's time to, to kind of wean you guys off the Egyptians. You know, and now I'm going to bring you into the wilderness and I'm going to establish you as a nation. And so we sent, well, he sent Moses to, to Pharaoh, tell me, hey, let my people go. Nine times Moses said, no way. Uh, and then finally uh, Moses went back to Pharaoh and he said, all right, you know, thus says the Lord, you know, that he's going to bring a plague upon the, the firstborn son of all the land of Egypt. You know, uh, the strangers, the Egyptians, the, Israel, the Israelites, he said, upon all the people, even, even the animals, you know, unless you, you cover your doorposts with the blood of the lamb. And we covered last week how, how this was symbolic, you know, and it was, it was symbolic of the, of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, you know, Jesus, our Passover lamb. And so we pick it up here now there in verse, 20, verse 29, now the death of the firstborn. And it says, And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all, all Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, Go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks, your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people. So now, you know, the, the Egyptians didn't, want, didn't even want to, want to let them go, and now they're, they're kicking them out. It says they urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it, it was leavened, uh, having their kneading bowls and bound up in their clothes, uh, on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel uh, had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And so keep in mind, you know that, that the nation of Israel has been in bondage for 430 years. Uh, they've been in slavery for uh, a, a lot of that time, right? So they're working without any pay. And so finally, when, when, when God is bringing his people out of Egypt, you know, God told them, all right, before you leave, uh, go, uh, go knock in the houses of the Egyptians and tell them, all right, I need your silver, I need your gold. 
It's not that they were looting them, you know, but it's really, really God was paying, was giving them their back pay, right? They had to work for free for all those years under harsh conditions, and now they're going to leave, but they're not going to leave empty-handed. You know, that they're going to leave with, that, with, with all that back pay, right? And they're just going to get one lump sum. And so they picked up, they, they got all the silver, all the gold, and then and they took off. And verse 37 says, Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides children. He says, a mixed multitude also went up with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock, and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor, they, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. And so it tells us, there, uh, it gives us an account of, of, all the, of all the men that, that, that left Egypt, of all the men of the Israelites that left Egypt. It says that it was 600,000 men on foot. It says, and it says not counting the, the, the children and also not counting the women. So if it's 600,000 uh, 600, men, you know, let's say each one of those guys is married. Uh, you know, conservatively say, all right, each one of those guys is married. So that makes it uh, uh, 1,200,000. You know, and let's say all of those have maybe one child. They probably had way more than one. But let's say they all had one child. You know, that's uh, 180, 100, wait, 180, what is it, 1,800 million people. You know, I don't know. I, I kind of, I'm not a good at math, you can tell, right? But it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And so a lot of commentators say that it's, even close to like 2 million people. You know, I mean, man, they're big families, right? You know, if you guys know any Jews, you know, you'll typically have big families. <laughs> Someone get a calculator, right? <laughs> and, and, and I mean, so it would have been close to like 2 million people. And this is just to say, man, God is doing an amazing work that again, He preserved them this whole time, right? They, yeah, they were in bondage. Yeah, they suffered harsh, harsh conditions. But all the while, God was doing something with them. And, they, and, and he was growing them. You know, he had them preserved there in Egypt under the protection, the protection of Egypt. Keep in mind that up until this point, you know, they've never been in a war. They've never been in a battle. They've never you know, gone out, out of the boundaries of Egypt. You know, and, and, and so there's other nations around Egypt you know, that, that, that would have loved to attack them, loved to, to come upon them. But because they were in Egypt, they were under that, that umbrella of, of the Pharaoh. Right? And so God preserved them under those harsh conditions. And it says, verse 40 now, it says, Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was... 430 years and it came to pass at the end of 430 years on that very same day it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt it is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt this is that night of the Lord a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations and so from the very first day that they, that they, that they stepped foot into Egypt there in Genesis chapter 49 and 50 from that very first day up until the point where, where, where they left off, where they, where they left Egypt, it was 430 years to the very day, to the very hour, to the very minute. 430 years. And so what that, what that tells me is that God is in control. It wasn't just something, all right, God's like, he forgot about them. There they are 400 years later. Oh, man, I forgot about the people. I got to leave them out. No, it's that God is, is specifically or, or, ordaining this timeline. Right, he is in control. You know, we call this uh, the sovereignty of God, meaning that he's he is in control and he is aware of, of every single detail of our lives at all times. Right? It wasn't that something that just happened by accident, it wasn't a coincidence, but God had a specific time, uh, a specific beginning and a specific ending for, for their time there in Egypt. And so for us, I mean we go through things in our lives and we think, man, dude, when is this gonna end? For example, trials. Sometimes mourning, sometimes difficulties, sometimes whatever it may be. And we think, man, dude, this, this is lasting forever. It's been a few weeks. It's been a few months. It's been a few years. Is, am, I get, am I ever going to make it out of this one? 
right? And, and what this tells me is that, is that God has a purpose and that God is in control and that God has a beginning for this trial and he has an end for this trial. He had a beginning for their soldier there in Egypt and he had an end for it. And it was exactly 430 years to the day, Moses tells us. And so it goes on to say there in verse 43, now he's going to give us the, the, the regulations for the Passover. Remember that the Lord had given them, you know, this, 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 this day called the Passover, which was when the angel of death passed over uh, the land of Egypt and didn't kill those, uh, the firstborn of those who had, who had put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts. But the Lord gave them specific regulations for that day. And he said there in verse 43, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who was bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten, and uh, you shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus all the children of Israel did, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. And so again, this is a, a feast that, that, that was to be instituted uh, there in, in the nation of Israel after that day. You know, and so for hundreds of, and hundreds of years after that day, you know, they were to keep this feast every year, this, this feast of the Passover, they call it. You know, what we would call Easter in, in, in our modern day terms. You know, they were to keep this feast of the Passover in remembrance of how uh, God passed over them in the land of Egypt and how he brought them out, out of Egypt. Right? And as they, would, as they would keep the Passover, uh, he gave them instructions in the previous chapter, there in chapter 12, uh, concerning the, the Passover meal, which was to be a lamb. And he told them, you guys remember from last week, he told them, all right, you are to, 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 to take a lamb of the first year, you're to bring him into the house, take care of him, make sure you know, nothing happens to him. Then you're to kill him, you're to eat him, uh, eat all of it, nothing's left, and whatever's left over, you have to burn it. Right? And so the Lord continues to give them more, more instruction concerning this Passover lamb. But notice what it says there in, uh, in verse 46. It says, In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. Does that sound familiar? You know, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, again, we mentioned last week how, how this is a picture of Jesus. You know, when Jesus, that, that Jesus was crucified on the Passover. He was the Passover lamb for, for all of humanity. Right? The Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his son. You know, and so and so Jesus took that place of the Passover lamb, not just for the nation of Israel, but for the whole world. Because that verse continues to say that whosoever believes in him, not just the Israel, Israelites, not just the Jews, not just, you know, any, but he means anybody. That whosoever believe, believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so Jesus took that place of this Passover lamb. And the Gospel of John tells us that, that when Jesus was crucified, you know, it, we're, we're told that, 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 that none of his bones were broken, which is extremely rare because when a, when, when a prisoner or when, a, when, a, when somebody who was being convicted was crucified, remember, crucifixion was a regular Roman practice. It was, it was actually, uh, uh, it was invented by the Persians, but the Romans perfected it. And so the, the Romans became just this, these artists in, in the art of crucifixion. They became, you know, these just trained uh, uh, killers, right, in the art of crucifixion. And so typically when, when they would crucify a prisoner, uh, he would be out there for a few hours, almost all day, burning in the hot sun, right, with his, with his, with his hands stretched out like that, and, uh, and, and a nail in between his, his feet. And the whole purpose of the crucifixion 
was that the, the, the guy, he, he wouldn't be able to breathe. And so he would have to put all his weight on that nail, pick himself up in order, in order to, to take a breath. You know, and so after a few hours of this guy up there still surviving, what the Romans would do is that they would break the legs of his prisoner so that he wouldn't be able to sustain himself anymore. And eventually he would just suffocate and die. But the Bible tells us that when it comes to Jesus, it says that, that, that none of his bones were broken. Because uh, by the time the Roman soldier went to go check, he was already dead. Right now, this is again just a fulfillment of really a scripture, a prophecy concerning Jesus. Because the Passover lamb, you know, God gave him instructions that the Passover lamb says none of its bones were to be broken. And so if Jesus would have been like any of those, of those other prisoners and, and, uh, he would, and they would have broken his bones, then he would have not been the Passover lamb. He would have not been the Messiah. He would have not been uh, uh, the sent one by God. He would have not been our Savior. Why? Because he did not meet one of the requirements. And there's about 800 something prophecies concerning Jesus in the Old Testament. And if, and if he did not meet just one of them, just one of those 800 something, then he would be disqualified. And so we see that Jesus met every single one of those, including this one. Not one of his bones was to be broken. The amazing Passover lamb. And so it goes on to say there in chapter 13, now verse 1, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. And so now God is going to institute this, this, this consecration or this setting apart of the firstborn uh, and, and all the land, whether it's a person or whether it's an animal, whether it's whatever it is, but... But they had this, 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 this law in Israel there that the firstborn was to be kind of uh, dedicated to the Lord. All right, you know, here's my firstborn son. I'm going to dedicate him to the Lord. Right? It wasn't like this huge ritual. They just said, Lord, my firstborn son, I dedicate him to you. Of all my livestock, if I have a bunch of cows, uh, the, my, the first calf, the first male calf, all right, Lord, this one's dedicated unto you. Right? And so he's going to give him this, the, this law now. And then verse 3 says, And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of, out of this place. He says, remember this day. It is no living bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep the service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you. Nor shall leaven be seen among you and in your quarters. And you shall tell your son in the day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you up out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep the ordinance in its season from year to year. And so the Lord tells them, right, you know, uh, 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 Remember this. Remember this every single year. Every single year, you're, you're to have this seven-day feast. So this feast of unleavened bread, uh, they would they would uh, bake bread without any yeast, you know, because the yeast is what makes the makes the dough rise. And so they would, they were to to bake this bread without any yeast, and they were to keep it for seven days, you know. And he says, all right, and this is going to be a memorial to you, right? And and, the, and and when your kids ask in the future, right, because. Their kids are going to be born. They're going to be in the promised land already. And their kids don't know anything about Egypt. They don't, don't, don't know anything about the bondage. They don't know anything about the plagues and, and what these guys saw, you know, the Lord do for him. He says, all right. It says, when your kids ask you, Dad, Dad, how come you're eating uh, uh, flat bread for seven days? I'm tired of this flat, bre flat, flat bread. When the, when the little kids, the third or fourth day, they're tired of eating this unleavened bread. They would ask, why are we eating this? He says, then you would tell them, because this is, we're doing this in remembrance of what the Lord did for us because the Lord, you know, He He rescued us out of uh, He rescued us out of Egypt. We had to leave in haste, right? And 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 so this was again to be this this memorial, 
It was to be used as a memorial for their kids, you know, and every single generation to come. Interesting that, that the Lord calls us to remember as well, right? You guys remember when uh, there, as we're studying on, on Easter, right? The day before Jesus was crucified and they celebrated the Passover. Uh, Jesus, again, was crucified on the actual Passover day. But right before, we're told that Jesus took his disciples. He took them into, the, into what's known as the upper room. And we're told that he had a last meal with them, the, the, the Passover meal. Right, it's that famous portrait, um, Leonardo da Vinci's famous last meal portrait. Right, you see all the guys at the table. It looks like just chaos is going on. And so, and so, what Jesus was doing is that he was keeping that that, that Passover meal with his with his disciples. And if you guys remember this, is what he told the disciples, he gave them, uh, he took a, a cup of wine, he took a bread, he broke it, and he says, "Do this in remembrance of me." And so here's God. Here's God. He, he's telling the, the the Israelites, "All right, you're to keep this feast every single year in remembrance of what of how God brought you up out of Egypt." Now, Egypt in the Bible is 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 a type of you know the world, a type of you know the the, the world outside of Christ. And so, and just how how the Lord rescued us from from the world, right? When you come to the Lord, when you just trust Him for salvation, when you trust Him uh, for 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 what He did on the cross, you know that He that he, that, he, that that He'll forgive for for all your sins. Now it's the kind of like the, like the Lord now taking us out of Egypt, you know, out of the world and bringing us into his own promised land, right? Into his promises. And God says, hey man, you, you know what we do every first Sunday of the month at communion? He says, do that in remembrance of me, in remembrance of how I took you out of the world, out of Egypt. He says, and do this as often as you remember, right? These guys were, were, were commanded to do it uh, once a year. But for us, the Lord says, do it as, as often as you remember. I think that's awesome. And because it's, in a sense, it's like we have kind of a, a, a higher responsibility to remember what the Lord did for us, right? Because Jesus, because Jesus was that ultimate Passover lamb, and He was the fulfillment of it all. Of it all we have more of a more, more of a responsibility, you know, to remember it, to remind ourselves, to tell others, "Hey, man, this is what Jesus did for me. I do this because I, I often it's on my mind, often it's on my heart, often, right?" And so the Lord tells him, "Look, man," He says. And then once you're in the promised land, in the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the land which, which God promised your, your fathers, He said you're to keep it there in that land as well. Now, we mentioned earlier how, how the nation of Israel was there in Egypt for 430 years, right? And yeah, God was, uh, was dealing with the nation. Yeah, God was building them up. But more than that, what God was doing is, is that He was extending mercy to the surrounding nations for 430 years. For 430 years, these surrounding nations would have Remember all the stories about Abraham, about, about Isaac, about Jacob, about what God did for his people. And it's like God was giving them time to repent. We're going to get into, into, the, next, into the next books, uh, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, even the book of Joshua. And we're going to see that the nation of Israel is going to come and, and, he's, and they're going to inherit this land. And they're going to do battle with these people. And God's going to wipe out a lot of these people for the just the, uh, horrific things that, that they were practicing. Right? They were just practicing some, some sinful stuff. Um, a lot of these people around them, they were, they were sacrificing to, this, to their god called Molech, which was, I've mentioned before, this little god, you know, it, they had this little statue, this god made out of iron, they were heated up until it's, until it's burning red, right, and this little god had, had hands like this, and what they would do is that, is that these Amorites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, all these other people, uh, nations around them, what they would do and, and practice as they would worship this little god Molech, is that they would uh, sacrifice their newborn babies into the arms of this, of this, little, of this little idol, Right? And so we're seeing that, that for 430 years, God, not only is He, again, building up a nation in Egypt, but for, for, for 430 years, He's extending mercy to the nations around Him. But now He's going to bring the, the nation of Israel into inherit that land. Those other guys are going to get wiped out. And God says, all right, man, that, that grace period is over. 
right? God gave him 430 years to repent. Some of them did, some of them didn't. You know, but, but you know, no one could ever accuse God of being unfair, of being unjust, of being unloving, of being uh, not merciful, right? Because he gave him 430 years to repent. And so they're going to they're gonna enter the land now. And so now the law of the firstborn there in verse 11, it says, And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal, uh, which you have, the male shall be the Lord's, but every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck, and all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your sons ask, uh, Ask you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall say to him, By strength of hand of, of the hand of the Lord, uh, he brought us up out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn and let us go, uh, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and, uh, and as frontlets between your eyes. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt. And again, just another, another thing that the Lord is, is establishing there in Israel. Now the, the law of the firstborn, that the law of the first, you know, the firstborn son, the firstborn male, you know, they were to, to dedicate unto the Lord. And notice the reason behind all these things. It wasn't because God was going to forget, but it was because they were going to forget. Right? It's like if, 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 unless they, they kept on practicing this and kept on reminding their, their sons, they're reminding themselves, they would have forgot. And actually they did forget. They're in the book of Hosea. If you're familiar with the book of Hosea, I think we did a, a topic on it one time. Uh, there's, it's, he's one of the minor prophets in, uh, in Hosea. God called this prophet Hosea to, to marry a prostitute you know, by the name of Gomer. Right? And he was to marry this prostitute. And, it was to be, and their relationship was to be symbolic of the relationship between Israel and God. And, and Hosea would, 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 uh, would love Gomer and he would go love on her and she'd go out and you know, do her thing. She'd come back, he'd take her in, and he'd love on her, and then she'd go out there and do her thing. And, and she'd come back, and God would tell Jose, hey, continue loving her, continue showing mercy. And he would, and she'd go out there and do his thing, and do her thing, and even have kids from, you know, from prostitution. And then Jose would say, Lord, what, what's going on? What's up with this? You know, it hurts. And God would say, yeah, you know, this is going to be a picture to all the nation of Israel of how Israel has prostituted themselves with the, nation, with the nations around them and have, and have forsaken you know, their husband, the Lord. And so... And we see that then the Lord tells Hosea, you know, he says, and you ask me, how have you forsaken me? He says, well, you forgot my commandments. You forgot what I did for you in Egypt. You forgot that I was the one who brought you up out of bondage. You forgot that I was the one who gave you life. You forgot that I was the one who brought you into the promised land. And God goes on telling him, you forgot this, you forgot that. You forgot, you forgot all these things, right? Amazing. You know, again, that responsibility that they had to, to remember what the Lord did for them. And now for us, even, you know, the high responsibility that we have to remember what God did for us. You know, it's important. It goes on to say there, verse 17, the wilderness way now. Now they're, we're getting to like the nitty gritty of it all, you know, like the climax of it all. And now they're actually, they're actually leaving Egypt now. So then it came to pass, verse 17, it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near for God said, lest perhaps the people would change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led them around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And so here they are now. God is leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And, and, and notice what it says. It says that God did not lead them by the way of the land of Philistines, of the Philistines, even though it was a shortcut. 
So here they are, they're leaving Egypt, they're on their way to, to Canaan, which is over here. They could have just cut right through the land of the Philistines and gone straight to Canaan. But it, it says that the Lord, no, they, that the Lord led them the long way. Why? It says, lest perhaps they, they, the people will change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Keep in mind, they've been there for 430 years and they don't know how to do war. They're, they're not a strong army. They've been slaves for most of their, most of their life. You know, they've never been given a, a weapon. They've never, they've never been given a sword, a sickle, a shield, a spear, anything. They've never been taught any tactics. They don't have any commanding officers. They don't have any rankings. They don't have uh, a, a, any skill in warfare whatsoever. And so God is saying, look, I could have taken them the short way, but I knew if I would have taken them the short way, the Philistines, you know, would have waged war on them. They would have got scared and they would have said, man, let's just go back to Egypt. This is too much. It's too scary. Right? And, and sometimes, you know, in our lives... It's like you, you have a sense of what God wants to do with you in your life. And you have a sense of where God wants to take you. And you think, yeah, it's like we have it all figured out. At least I do. In my mind, I think, Lord, I got it. You just do this, this, that, and the other. Boom. We'll take the fast track to right here where, where your will is for me in my life. And God says, no, Andrew, I'm going to take you around this way the long way. I'm like, Lord, I'm tired. I want to go long. I want, we, if we do this, we go through here, we take the shortcut, we'll get the faster. But we, well, we don't know what it is that God is trying to do inside of us. You know, we, you don't know what it is that God is protecting you from. Ultimately, His ways are better, right? That's what the Bible tells us, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. It says, for your ways are not my ways, says the Lord, nor are your thoughts my thoughts. And then it goes on to say, for as high as the heavens are from the earth, that's how different your ways are from my ways and my thoughts from your thoughts. And so and the people would have, would have known this right away. They went, man, we could have just cut through this land and would have been, we would have been there faster. But they didn't know what God was doing. You know, they didn't know that all the time He was protecting them and sometimes that's what God is doing in our lives where you think man I thought God showed me this a few years ago I thought this is what he wanted for my life that was last year that was five years ago that was X amount of time and it still hasn't happened and maybe God's protecting you from something something that we don't know something that we can't see why because only God can see he's sovereign and so he takes him the long way and Moses verse 19 and Moses took the bones of Joseph with them for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath saying God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. And so Genesis 50, uh, 24 to 26, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it for you. We, we have this account. And so remember, Joseph, from the, from the nation of Israel, Joseph was the first one that was in Egypt. This, if you're familiar with, 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 the, with the story of Joseph, Joseph was, uh, was one of the, the second youngest sons of, uh, of Jacob. Uh, Jacob had 12 sons, and, and Joseph was the second youngest. Uh, Joseph was, was the favorite of his, of his dad, and his brothers uh, ended up uh, selling him into slavery. They wanted to kill him, but one of the brothers said, like, no, nah, let's not kill him. They just sell him into slavery, right? He was the first, uh, we had the first account of human trafficking here in the Bible, and that was Joseph. He was human trafficked, you know, into Egypt. And so uh, the story goes that, that, that Joseph was, was, was trafficked into Egypt, you know, and, 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 and little did, did he know, little did anybody know that God had other plans. Joseph ends, we end the book of Genesis with Joseph saying, what you meant for evil, God meant it, God turned it for good. And so we see that, that Joseph became the second in command there in Egypt. You know, the, the, the governor in Egypt became the second most powerful man in Egypt. God redeemed his life. And as he was the second most powerful man in Egypt, you know, he was able to save his whole family and usher them into Egypt. But before he died, he told them this. There in Genesis 50, 24, it says, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am dying, but God will surely visit you. And, and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. 
Joseph told him, hey, God, you're going to be in Egypt, but God's going to take you out. One is, you know, God's going to visit you, and he's going to lead you out of Egypt. He didn't know how long. They didn't know. Maybe they thought it was just a few years. It ended up being 430 years, but God kept his promise. Right. How, long has, you know, how long have you been holding on to that promise of God? These guys waited 430 years, and God, and God was faithful to keep his promise. Sometimes we give up, you know, months, weeks, maybe a couple years, you know, into that. All right, Lord, I've been holding on to this promise. You promised me this. You promised me that. It's already been some time, and I don't see anything happening. It's not that God forgot. He can't forget. But it's that God has his own perfect timing, right? Joseph told him, all right, he says, when you leave, not if, but he says, when you leave, he says, take my bones with you because I don't want to be buried in Egypt. I want to be buried in the land of my fathers. And so as they're leaving Egypt now, we're told that, that they took the bones of Joseph with the man. It took a while to, for that promise to fulfill, 430 years, but it happened. And in our lives, it may take a while for God's promises to be fulfilled in our lives, but they're going to happen if you continue trusting the Lord. And so it says there in verse 20, So they took their journey from Sukkoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went before them by day in pillar of a cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. I love it. And so as they're, as they're leaving Egypt, they're not just, God didn't just leave them to wander. All right, he didn't give Moses a map and say, all right, Moses, just follow the X, follow the line, uh, figure it out. I'll meet you at the end. No, it says that God led them every single step of the way. It says as they were leaving Egypt, it says they were following God because God was leading them. And, and God led them in a, in, a, in, a, in a miraculous way, actually. As when it was daytime, there in the burning hot desert of, of, of Egypt, when it was daytime, it says that he would lead them in a pillar of cloud. Right? And the cloud would be twofold. The one, it would be for them to, to follow God and also it would be shade upon them. Right? So they wouldn't get burned down in the, in the, in the desert. And so in the daytime, they would follow this, this cloud. And whenever the cloud moved, later on, it's going to tell us, sometimes they would camp out somewhere for a few days or a few months, and they would just camp out too. But when it started moving, they would follow the cloud. Right? And then in the nighttime, wow. they would travel by night as well. And we're told that, that, that by nighttime, it was a, a pillar of fire. And so they could be camped out, and they had their own little you know, bonfire. You would see the pillar of fire, the uh, representative of the presence of God for them. And then you, all right, God is here with us. You know, he's, he's surrounding us. Here's his, here's his pillar of fire. If it didn't move, it didn't move. But once it moved, they began to move and they followed it. All right? But notice what it says. It says that the Lord went before them. And if the Lord didn't go before them, they didn't move. And I think that's an awesome uh, application, you know, something that we could apply for our lives as well. Hey, if God is not leading you, don't go. If God is not going before you, don't go. You know, when we planted the church, I, I, I sense a little put in my heart. My Lord, you want us to be a city terrorist? I want you to go first and I'll follow you. Because if you're not there, then I don't want to be there. And if God is not in this place, then none of us need to be here. None of us should be here. Right? But we know because He is in this place, this is where I want to be. And wherever God's presence is leading me, that's where I want to be. And wherever God's presence is leading you, that's where you want to go. Right? If, it's, if His presence is not leading you, forget about it. But if He's leading you, then you know, it would be wise to follow. And so He's leading them. And chapter 14 now, we get to... The famous Red Sea crossing. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pi-Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephyr, for you shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will save the children of Israel. They are bewildered by the land. Uh, the wilderness has closed them in. 
Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And, and they did so. And so again, God has continued to give Moses instructions. And just on that note, we're seeing kind of like this, uh, I hate to use the word evolution, but kind of this development, this, this development of, of, of Moses. You know, he's kind of, as, he's, as he continues to obey God, right? Remember, it all started when he was in the, in the, there in the desert. And it says that he, that he saw a, a, a bush that was burning, that, that was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. And he saw it, and then he looked. And it wasn't until he looked that he was able to hear God's voice. He, like, oh. he went near. God spoke to him. And it's like as he continues to, to obey the Lord every single time, step by step, it's like God's voice is getting clearer to him. And for us as well. You know, God speaks to us. The book of Hebrews tells us there in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, In the former days, God spoke to his people through his prophets. Is, but now God speaks to us through His Son, right? And so God speaks to us through Son, you know, through His Son, through Jesus, and through His words. The Bible also tells us in Second Timothy three sixteen that all of Scripture, meaning all of this Bible, is, is God breathed, right? And so God speaks to us now through His Son, and God speaks to us through His Son's words, which is the Holy Scriptures, right? And and, and one way to to kind of Fine-tune your the, the dial of your ear. I always think of that old all the old radios. I mean, we gotta put the line right at the station, and sometimes it's a little off because the sticker's off, but the numbers are off. But you gotta kind of fine-tune it until so you hear a clear reception. And and it's like that's that's what we gotta do with our ears, you know. When it comes to hearing the voice of God, is that we just gotta fine-tune it until Lord, I think that's you. Ah, is it you? I I'm not. I'm, it sounds staticky. All right, no, that's it. I got it perfect right here, right? And, and what we do uh, to fine-tune that the dial of our ears to the voice of God is. Just step-by-step obedience. You know, God's will is revealed to us as we take those steps of faith. And, and God's revelation to us is, is a progressive step-by-step revelation. Meaning, the more you kind of take those steps in obedience to God, the more you kind of just start fine, fine-tuning your ears. It's never going to happen all at once. But it happens step-by-step. Lord, I feel like you're calling me to do this. I'm going to step out. Man, I was the Lord. All right, cool. You know, I, I sense it. You know, it's like God kind of just speaks to, you, speaks to your spirit. He, he speaks to, you, to, to your heart. Right? I'm, I'm not opposed to saying God spoke to me. My, no. Some people, you know, I know, I know pastors, I know there are other Christians, and I was kind of like this. They're very rigid and like, and I'll be like, hey, or someone will say, hey, God spoke to me. Do you have a, a verse, a scripture? No, no, it's kind of just sensitive in my heart. Like, no, no, brother, you got to have a verse, or else it's not God. It's from your own head. But you know what? The, the more I'm, I kind of just mature, I would say mature in my faith, I start seeing that, 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 that God speaks to us through His Spirit as well. You know, and He has placed His Holy Spirit in us. And His Holy Spirit kind of, you know, speaks to our souls, speaks to our, our hearts. And, and, and God will speak to us through His Word, of course. But He'll also speak to us through those inclinations of the heart. Jeremiah said, Jeremiah the prophet, he says, man, he says, I try to, he says, I try to not speak God's Word anymore. He says, and, and I kept my mouth shut, but it was like a fire burning in my bones and I couldn't stay quiet. Mm-hmm. And so we know that, that, that God speaks to us in our innermost parts as well. Right? As, as we just kind of just... Uh, uh, Develop and, and, and as we cultivate that relationship with Him and just draw near to Him by knowing who He is through His Word, so we just we, we, it's like we're able to just hear His hear His voice and you sense like, I think this is God leading me to do this. Yeah, I know it was, right? I was reminded of um, of First Kings chapter nineteen. If you're familiar with the story, the prophet Elijah, he goes into like depressed mode, right? And he's in the in the wilderness after he after God used him mightily. He goes into the wilderness. He's depressed. If he just slept for like three days straight, right? That's like clinical depression right there. And and I'll, and, and God has to send like a, a, a raven to go feed him. And all of a sudden, you know, God's trying to talk to him, and he stands up, you know, and and 
we're told three things. We're told that, that, that God calls Elijah to go out to the mountain, to the edge of the cliff. And he says that Elijah sees, uh, he sees a, a, a fire. And he says, that, he says, but God was not in the fire. And then we're told that Elijah feels a strong earthquake. He says, but God was not in the earthquake. And then we're told that Elijah feels a strong wind. And he says, but God was not in the wind. And then we're told this. He says that afterwards, God, uh, Elijah heard a still, small voice. Other people have translated to like a, a gentle whisper. He says, and then that was when he was recognizing, man, God's speaking to me. One thing I realized is that in order to hear someone whisper, you got to be close. You know, and, what, and what God was doing as he was ministering to this prophet, Elijah, is that he was drawing him close to him. Right? By just ministering to him, by just loving on him while he was there, there in, the, in, the, in the wilderness all depressed. He was drawing him close. Right? Where God, hey man, Elijah wasn't able to recognize God and all these big things. But he was able to hear, he was close enough to hear God's whisper. Right? And sometimes that, that's what the Lord is trying to do in us. That he's just trying to draw us close to him. Right? So we could just hear that small, still voice in our hearts. I see that it says that the Lord spoke to Moses. Notice that, you know, it didn't say that Moses got away up into the mountain. It didn't say that Moses said, all right, guys, I'll be back. Uh, a few million people, hold on, I got to go see what God wants me to do. No, and so I asked myself, well, how did God speak to Moses? You know, did he just, I mean, did this whole ceremony go on? No. I think that, 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 that God just spoke to Moses just, bam, in his heart. And he, and he told him what to do, right? So he tells him, right, he says, you're going to leave, you're going to go, he says, uh, you're going to go to, you're going to camp out by Pi Hathroth between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephron. He says, you're going to camp out before the sea. And so we see that, that the Lord is leading them to a specific place. And so as he's, as he's leading them out of Egypt and into the promised land, the land of Canaan, we're told that, that he leads them a specific way. One, he doesn't give them, he doesn't take them to the shortcut, to the land of the Philistines. He takes them the long way. And not only does he take, does he take them the long way, but he, told them, he tells them to camp out in a specific place where it says that they camped out before Pi Hathroth and Migdal. These are two big mountains. And so he says, all right, you guys are going to camp out right here. You're going to have this mountain to your left, this mountain to your right, and you're going to have the sea behind you. Now, them trying to flee Egypt for their life, you know, it, wouldn't, it, it strategically doesn't look like a good move. You know, and, and we're going to see that. That God even said, all right, because Pharaoh's going to see you guys. He's going to say, man, they're lost. You know, they, they, they've never been out in the wilderness and they don't know where they're going. Wow, what am I doing? You know, and letting them go. They don't know what they're doing. I'm, I'm going to go after them. Right? And so, but we see that, that, that God is leading them to a specific place where they're going to have, be stuck between a rock and a rock and a, and a hard place. But it's going to be for a specific reason. And so it goes on to say there in verse 5. Now, it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. They're saying, man, we've had cheap labor all this time, man. What are we doing? You know, we're not thinking straight. Verse 6. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with them. Also, he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, camping by the sea beside Pi-Hiroth, between Baal Zephron. Keep in mind that, that God is the one who led them to this place. Again, he didn't take them to the truck, he took them the long way. He took them, you know, he, he made them camp out with the sea behind them, and two mountains to the left and to the right. God kind of took them to his little cul-de-sac, and he enclosed them. Right? And now all of a sudden, the Egyptians are coming after him. It says that Pharaoh took 600 choice chariots, 
for us, that, for us, that means nothing. But for them, it's like uh, it's like us saying, "All right, man, uh, the army, the army came in over here and they brought six hundred tanks, you know, and there was one one man at every tank, well, six hundred of the best tanks, and then they brought all the tanks that they had for for in their time, you know, for for the Egyptians, a, a chariot that's like tops, you know, it's like man, you got a chariot, you're for sure gonna win the battle because you got speed, you got horses, you got everything, right? And so Pharaoh takes six hundred tanks or six hundred chariots. You know, and then all the chariots in, in Egypt, and they go uh, chasing after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel, of Israel are stuck here in this little cul-de-sac. You know, mountain, mountain. See behind them. What's happening is that is that God is forcing them to trust in Him. They have no other choice but to trust in God. Notice what it says there in verse ten. It says, "And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them." So they were very afraid and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And sometimes God does that in our lives too. Well, where he'll purposely lead us into an impossible situation or an impossible event or an impossible you know, event in your life. So that we're forced to cry out to him. Not because he hates us. Not because he wants to punish us. Not because he wants to teach us a lesson. But because he wants us to draw close to him. And he wants to teach us how to cry out to him, how to depend on him. They, if, if, the, if the sea was only a, a river, they probably would say, all right, cool. The water's not high enough. The current's not strong. We could run through the river. If it was a little hill instead of a mountain, they would say, all right, cool. We'll just, we'll, we could run over the, mount, over the hill. Right? If it was, uh, uh, again, if it was easy, if it was something that they could do in their own strength, they would trust in their own strength. But God put them in an impossible situation so they could trust in him. So they have no choice but say, Lord, I can't do this. Help us, right? And the Lord will do that for us, man. He'll put us in those situations so, to teach us how to trust in Him so we can recognize, Lord, there's no way I can do this. Lord, there's no way. There's no way I can be a good husband, a godly husband, a great example of this, this, that, and the other apart from you. All right, Lord, show me. I'm depending on you. And so it says that the children of Israel cried to the Lord. And then they said to Moses, verse 11, notice what they said. They said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt so with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. They cry out to God, but they're just, the pressure gets to them. And so they complain to Moses and they said, and pretty much they're telling Moses, well, Moses, they weren't, they're speaking sarcastically. They're saying, Moses, was there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to die? There wasn't enough empty plots there in the cemetery of Egypt, you know, to bury us, that you had to bring us out here to bury us, right? See, and they said, see, we told you. They're saying, Moses, we told you, just leave us alone. Just, just let us serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than for us to die out here in the wilderness. And what's happening to them is that they're really saying that it would have been better for them to be in bondage to Egypt than free and under a little pressure. That's what they're saying. That they would rather choose their, their bondage in Egypt than, than, than their freedom, but with a little bit of pressure. And I say that because sometimes, you know, us in our Christian walk, I mean, some people rather uh, stay slaves to sin or stay slaves to the world than to, be, than to come to Jesus and be set free. You know, because people think that when you come to the Lord, when you come to Jesus, all right, man, all your problems go away, and they don't. In fact, you make yourself an enemy of the world. You make yourself an enemy of Satan. And Jesus said, hey man, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you too. Why? Because a student is not greater than his master. 
And then Jesus said this. He says, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. I promise you. But he says, but be a good cheer because I have overcome the world. But some, some people would rather stay slaves to their own sin, slave to, to Egypt, slave to the world. That's what Egypt represents. Slave to, to bondage, you know, and this bondage to their sin, and to be free, but, you know, feeling the pressure a little bit. And so that's what they're saying. In verse 13, and Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. He says, stand still. He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. He says, the Lord will fight for you, and you shall, be, you shall hold your peace. Moses had no way of knowing what God was going to do. God didn't tell Moses that he was going to part the Red Sea. God didn't give Moses all the details. God just says, all right, just trust me. Right? And so we see this, this man's faith developing. You know? We're now, man, he's already seen God do these miraculous you know, uh, uh, things for him there in Egypt before Pharaoh. So he has more of a reason to trust God. And, and really that's kind of how the Lord works in our life as well. Is that he allows us to see all these wonderful things. All these, he allows us to see his tangible power in our lives. Right? He'll, yeah, he'll perform miracles. But more than that, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll speak to us intimately. You know, he'll, he'll make himself known to us. Right? He'll give us these, these little victories. And each victory is like a stepping stone to like something bigger. And it's like, for me right now, I, I really, really, really trust the Lord with my provision. Right? I really, really trust the Lord that, that I know He's not going to leave me out on the street. I really, really trust the Lord with all my heart that He's always going to provide for me and my wife. Because He always has. And sometimes miraculous ways and just, and sometimes that, and just ways I can't explain. So I, I say this not pridefully, but, but, but trusting in God that I know that God is always going to provide for me and uh, I may be out of work, but I'll, I'll never be, you know, without provision. Because God has always provided for me. I've told you guys a story, right? When me and Liz got married, didn't have anywhere to go. I trust. I'm like, Lord, I know you, I know you don't want me to move in with, with, uh, with Tony and Teresa. I'm like, Lord, I know you have a place for us. And we're, we're on our honeymoon, and boom, three days before our honeymoon ends, I get the call. Hey, man, this place, boom, boom. By the time we got back, we were moving in. Right? Hey, uh, we, we moved in. We just got married. I lost one job. And I, I, have, I was not worried at all. Liz, Liz could say, man, we were just trusting God. We were praying. We are like, all right, man, we got no money in the bank. But I know somehow we're going to pay for next month rent. And she you know, man, I got, I got this awesome job. And it's like just things just always work out. <laughs> right? I trust the Lord in that area. Why? Because God, is, God has proven himself trustworthy in that area before. And so next time that situation comes up, I trust God because I say, man, well, if he provided for me in the past, why wouldn't he do it for me this time? Right? And similar with, with other things as well. Not just with provision, not just when it comes to finances, but when, when it comes to other things as well. I'm like, man, God has been faithful in all these areas before, and this, this, that, and the other. So why wouldn't he do it now? Right? And so we start developing this trust in God by, by walking with him. You get to know him. You, get, you know who he is. You know how, how, how he works in your life, how he provides for you, how he just, you know, how he takes care of you. And so when you're, play, when you're under pressure, you're like, man, well, God didn't come through for me. He always has. So why wouldn't he now? And so Moses has seen the hand of God in his life, working with him, working through him, working for him. As he's told him, all right, go to Pharaoh, say this, boom. Go to Pharaoh, say that, do this, boom. Go to Pharaoh, put your, stretch out your rod and watch this happen, and boom. And so now they're faced with pretty much the biggest trial. A whole army of Egyptians coming one way, mountain on this side, mountain on that way, Red Sea on, that, on this side. Moses doesn't know what God's going to do, but he know what, the one thing that he does know is God. He doesn't know what's going to happen, but he knows Who's in charge? He knows God. And so he tells that he's able to tell everyone else. He's able to lead everyone else in a godly way. And say, hey, look, God's going to provide. God's going to lead the way. God's going to, he's going to deliver us. He says, stand still, you know, and watch the salvation of the Lord. He says, because God's going to fight for us. 
He was able to say that because he, was, he had already experienced God fighting for him in the past. Right? And I say that to say this. That we can only speak of God's wonders you know, when we've experienced God's wonders. Right? I can't tell you of intimacy with God if I myself have not experienced intimacy with God. I cannot tell you of God's provision if I myself have not experienced God's provision. I cannot tell you of the love and mercy and forgiveness of Christ if I myself have not experienced the love and mercy and forgiveness of Christ. Believe me, every time I come up here and I pray, I'm like, Lord, you got to speak to me. I'm like, Lord, speak to me, Lord, because I don't want to go up there and just tell him a story or tell him my feelings or tell him an experience. I'm like, Lord, I want to give him living, your, your, your living bread, Lord, your living water, that bread of life, Lord. I want to go up there and give him me. I want to go up there and give him you. So help me to experience you. Help me to know you, Lord. Right? And so it goes on to say, there in verse 15, he says, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And indeed, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, so I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So here's the people are crying out. They're complaining. What's going to happen? Moses, why'd you bring us out of here and die? Boom, boom, boom. Right? What does Moses say? Hey, trust in God. He's going to fight for us. He's going to provide a way. And, and he begins to cry out to God. And what's God's response? Moses, why are you crying out to me? You know what to do. And so there's a time for prayer. But there's also a time for action. And in this case for Moses, it was time for action. Right? There's nothing wrong with praying to the Lord. I think we should pray, pray to the Lord for, for everything. Lord, applying to this job, what do you want me to do? If it's you, then open the doors. If it's not, then I'm not going to get the, the crowbar and try to open the door and barge in there. Lord, but if it's you, then open the doors. So there's, there's, we should pray about things. But there comes a time in, within, our, within our dealings with God, within our prayers to the Lord, that God's going to say, all right, man, you know the answer. Just go for it. Right? And so that's what he told Moses. He said, Moses, why are you crying out to me? You know what to do. Stretch out your hand over the waters and, man, something's going to happen. Right? And so for our, in our lives as well, sometimes we get stuck in that, Lord, are you sure you want me to? Lord, this is your will. Lord, this is your will. And God's like, man, I told you it was my will like 10 times already. You know, we're like, man, way back there, you're still asking me. You know what to do. Go for it. Right? And, and we're going to get stuck in that place of, Lord, is it you? Is it you? If, if we don't take that next step of faith where, you know, God is saying, all right, just go for it. You know what to do. You know, you sense, you sense it in your heart. And so it goes on to say, then verse, 20, verse 19, sorry, says, And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from, behind, from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. And so as, as, as Moses uh, stretched out, stretches out his, his arm with the rod in his hand, we're told that the angel of God who went before them, leading them, says now moved to the back of the camp. So they were following the angel of God. And there's actually a, what's known as a, as a Christophany, you know, which is, a, which is a, a, a pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. So this is Christ appearing in the Old Testament. And so the angel of God, that's, that's literally, you know, Jesus himself leading them, leading them to the wilderness. And that's amazing. That, that, that Jesus himself is, is, is leading them. Later on in the book of Joshua, when, when, the, when the nation of Israel, led by Joshua, going to the promised land, uh, Joshua is leading the armies, they're going to, into the land of Canaan, and they, they encounter this, 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 this soldier who's all suited up, 
And Joshua says, just tell me, are you for us or are you against us? And this, and this figure says, neither. He says, but I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord. And he recognizes that it was, it was a, a pre-incarnate Christ. It was a Christophany. And he begins to just bow down and worship. Hey, man, lead us. Right? And so we see that, that, that here is the Lord again leading them out of Egypt. And so he was in front of the camp, leading them, leading them the way. But now he's behind the camp. And, and now we're told that the angel of the Lord, along with that pillar of cloud, kind of made this, uh, this barrier between the camp of the Israelites and the camp of the Egyptians. And so that, you know, to, to, to the camp of the Israelites, it was like daylight and it was a protection. But to the camp of the Egyptians, it was darkness and confusion. And it says, it was darkness to the one and it gave light by night to the other. That's amazing. Because Paul actually says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 concerning the gospel and concerning the Holy Spirit and concerning pretty much our, 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 our walks. He says this, let me read it for you. 2 Corinthians 2.15. It says, it says, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ amongst those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. He says, To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And so uh, Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, says this about, about the believer, says this about, about the Spirit of God that dwells inside of us. It says that we are the aroma, you know, like the, the aroma of of God, you know, to other believers. He says, but to those who don't believe, we're the Roma of death. And so as we're, and what that means is that as we're here with one another, right, and we're, we're, and, and we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, amen, to each other, we can recognize it, right? It's a blessing, right? It's a, it's a sweet-smelling aroma. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. But to somebody who's rejecting God, you know, it's, it's, so for us, it's, a, it's the aroma of life, you know, the, the life of Christ in us. But to someone who, who's rejecting God, it's the aroma of death because they can smell it and at the same time they can recognize that they don't have it. And so it's so too with the, with the angel of the Lord. I mean, the Egyptians saw the angel of the Lord, but because they, were, they had rejected God, it was against them. The children of Israel, they, had, they were seeing the same angel of the Lord and the same pillar of cloud, but because you know, they were God's people, amen, it, was, it was to their benefit. So it gave darkness to the one, but it gave light to the other one. And verse 21 says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. So notice that they're crossing by night. And made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right and, and, and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. You would think... That the Egyptians seen something as miraculous as, hey man, the Red Sea is just parted, you know, in half and we're walking on dry ground. You think that that would be enough for them to be like, dude, man, this is for real. So this God, this is the hand of God. We're fighting against God now. We're not fighting against these, these slaves. We're fighting against God himself. We're going to read later on that, that some of them did. Some of, some of them did recognize, but for the most part, uh, most of them didn't, right? And so here's God. He parts the Red Sea for them. They're walking on dry land and notice that they had to walk through and it says that the walls, that the waters were a wall to their left and to the right. And they're going to be walking all night. Now keep in mind, as they're walking through the water, they had to trust God every single step because they would have thought, man, at any moment it could collapse. So they had to trust that God and his love was going to protect them from, the, from, that, from that wall of water and not let it fall upon them. 
And as we're walking with the Lord, you know, and we're just kind of have, we have these, these walls to our left and to the right. You know, the world, the pressure, this, that, the other temptation, all these things. Amen. Walk trusting the Lord, knowing that this is what the Bible says concerning our temptation. It says, no temptation has overcome you except that which is common to man. He says, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But with that temptation, he will allow an escape so that you can bear it. And so as we're walking with the Lord and we're facing with these walls of temptation, these walls of pressure, these walls of just circumstance to our left and to our right, we're walking and trusting the Lord. Going, All right, Lord, you're not going to let these things overcome me. As I'm trusting in you, as I'm walking with you on this, on this, on this dry land, you're not, you're not going to let these walls fall upon me and crush me. Right? And, but it can feel like that sometimes as we're walking in this world. All the pressures of life, it feels like one of these days they're just going to boom, collapse upon you, right? And drown you. But these guys had to walk trusting that, that the Lord was not going to let these walls fall upon them. And so as to we walk trusting that God's not going to let the pressure, the walls of the pressure of this world, the temptations of this world fall upon us. So they had to trust God every single step of the way. And now it came to pass, verse 24, in the morning, in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians. So they, they've been walking all night now through the pillar of the fire and the cloud. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So finally they're realizing after probably a few miles, after chasing them down all night and then God had to take off their wheels. Like, ah, man. So God is still making it hard for them and he's telling them, stop, 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 stop. God is still extending mercy to them saying, don't go any further. But they're still going, right? So finally they recognize Hey, the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. But it doesn't be too late. Verse 26, And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots and on their horsemen. And, the, and then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and, the, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. When he uses that word fear, it means like a holy reverence. He said, man, they, they, they reverence God with this, this, uh, this holiness. They knew, man, God is... That's God. He's the one true God. So it says that they feared the Lord and they believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So, Mo so God is going to establish Moses now as, as, as his prophet, as his spokesperson amongst all those people. And the truth is that God is always desiring to establish a voice amongst his people. God is always desiring to look for a man, look for a woman in whom he could work through. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be... Any of these things. Right? God is just looking for, for somebody willing. And in this case, it was Moses. And so just how he, just how he, how he used Moses and he established them, you know, and, and, and the people now, you know, they believe God and, and they believe that Moses was God's spokesperson. Hey, man, God wants to use you as well. Right? But it takes us knowing God. It takes us drawing near to the Lord. It takes us cultivating that, 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 that voice, that sensitivity to his voice so we can hear the Lord as well. All right? No one's going to follow me uh, as I follow Christ if I'm not following Christ. If I'm not following the Lord, then I wouldn't even recommend that you follow me or that you even, you know, look at me at all, right? But again, it's, it's God that does the work, right? Not us. All this time, it was God working through Moses. God working in Moses. God establishing him. And again, his purpose is 
is fulfilled, right? That the people will recognize, right? That's God. He's God. Amen? We'll stop right there. I was going to try to do 15, but I'll pick it up next week and we'll start fresh with a clean slate.